Well, I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Christmas is one of those days of the year, you know, we, uh, we anticipate it, we can't wait for it, we can't wait for it, and then it just seems to be over. My, my wife and her siblings have a competition every year to see who can be the first one to take down the Christmas tree, right? She's, she's done, the Christmas tree's put away, you know, the day after Christmas. It's just sort of over. I, I don't know if you feel that way about Christmas, if you uh, sort of wait for it and wait for it and wait for it, and then, uh, you know, you wake up Christmas morning and you unwrap the presents and boom, it's over. You know, that unwrapping the presents and you can't wait to see what you, you received. I've, I've learned something as an aging parent, you know, my kids are getting older and, and now, you know, the presents, you know, the kids are older, the presents seem to be smaller and more expensive but the wrapping paper somehow miraculously stays the same. You know, there's this whole heap of wrapping paper. It's the same amount of stuff to sort of throw away, and you unwrap it, and you look at it, and, and I don't know if you uh, unwrapped a present this Christmas, and man, you are so excited because it's just what you wanted. It's just what you expected. Or if you unwrapped a present, and you kind of looked at it, and you thought, I wonder what Grandma was thinking. You know, or maybe you unwrapped a gift and you opened it up and you couldn't believe what it held. It was so much more than you expected. When I think of receiving more than you expect on Christmas, I can't help but think of this famous scene from a Christmas movie. Well, as we wrap up this Christmas series that we've been calling Socks and Underwear, we've been thinking about the gifts that we really need uh, this Christmas. And we'll, we'll conclude that series with a, with a story about two folks, two, two older uh, folks, a, a gentleman by the name of Simeon and a, and a lady by the name of Anna who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for that gift that every one of us absolutely needs this Christmas. They've been waiting for that, the hope of Israel, for the hope of the world. They've been waiting for Messiah to enter. And we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at when they discover when they unwrap that present, when, they, when everything they've been waiting for is revealed to them, maybe in an unexpected way. But we're going to see that, we can, that Jesus is absolutely more than we expect this Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the book of Luke. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 38 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to to 38. I think this, this story about Simeon and Anna teach us three ways that Jesus is more than we expect. Luke, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21, and we're going to read through verse 38 as we uh, think about three ways that Jesus is more than we expect this Christmas. Luke, the second chapter. Maybe you're using that YouVersion app on your uh, phone or other device, you can uh, probably find that outline and the scripture reference under the event tab. Just find Walula and you'll find uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 38. Luke chapter 2, this is what God's word says. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the, cons 
consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, and you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will, will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, the, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So a, an interesting story about Simeon and Anna and they're waiting for Messiah and waiting to see the, the hope of, of Israel, the hope of the world, that present that every one of us needs uh, at this Christmas. And uh, Jesus exceeded our, our expectations in, in uh, three ways. Expectation number one is that we can't earn salvation. Look at how our story begins. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Uh, in Luke, the first couple of chapters, we've bounced back and forth between two stories about two different babies being born, the John the Baptist being born to, to Zachariah and Elizabeth, and Jesus being born to, to Mary and Joseph, and we've bounced back and forth. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, that uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth took John to the temple and they were, they were uh, going to circumcise him and at that time they were going to name him uh, John. There was a whole discussion with the community. Should his name be Zechariah? What's he going to be named? And, and they said, no, his name is John. And, and if you remember, we talked about the fact that all of that sort of pointed to the, the issue of Zechariah and Elizabeth wanting to do what God asked them to do. They were, they were godly uh, parents and they wanted, to, they wanted to live and act and raise their son to know God and his law. And the same story happens here with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. It points to that same fact that Mary and Joseph were righteous, that they were looking to, to obey God, that they wanted to do everything they could uh, to live after him. And so the, those same sets of facts are, are being presented here. When the time came in verse 22 for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a whole bunch of history kind of rolled up in these few verses. The same train of thought is being played out here that, that Mary and Joseph are following the same traditions, the same rites, the same law that their parents had followed and their grandparents had followed and their great-grandparents had followed. This history goes all the way back 
It really goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation, but especially to God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt and that, that Passover. There's so much history tied up here, and we see this period of, of purification, and this is a little bit odd to us, but if you look back in the Old Testament, you can just write these verses down if you're interested, and you can go back and read them, and it, it's it's a little bit interesting to see kind of the history lived out in the life of God's people here. But in Leviticus chapter 12, the first eight verses, it's going to walk you through these Old Testament rules and regulations. And essentially, we're going to boil it down and, and keep it kind of simple. This morning, when a, when a baby was born, mother and baby would have a, a period of time where they had to be sort of isolated, away from everybody else, this period of purification. And, and uh, if the baby was a girl, then it was 80 days. And if the baby was a boy, it was 40 days, all right? And so what we're reading here in verses 22 and 23 is that after this 40-day period of time, uh, Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to the temple in order uh, to offer these sacrifices. And so there's 40 days of purification. Now, there's, there's all kinds of reasons, I suppose, not, not the least of which uh, there's sort of some health and well-being sort of ideas uh, being played out here. Remember, especially in the ancient world, the first few weeks of a person's life may be the most dangerous period of time that they would face, all right? And so way more true in the first century than it is in the 21st century, there's a period of time where, hey, mom and baby maybe need to stay isolated so they can, their immune system can catch up, all that stuff can happen so that they can remain healthy and grow. And, and so God is just sort of looking out for his people. He's protecting his people. There's some health and well-being sort of issues at play here. But way more important, it, you know, we heard Zach talk about New Year's resolutions, and, you know, so many of us make sort of the same resolutions. I want to eat better. I want to exercise more. I want to read more. I want to learn more. I want to do these things that sort of help my physical being. Well, that's of some value, Scripture says, for sure. But way more important is your spiritual health. And the same thing is true even in these first couple of verses of our story as Jesus is presented at the temple as they go to make a sacrifice. There's these 40 days that God sets apart. Some of that is for the, the physical health of mom and baby. But some of that is to remind us that even more important than our physical health is our spiritual health. Now, this gets a little complicated, right? And I need you to understand something. This doesn't say anything about males and females in their spirituality. It doesn't say anything really about males and females and their sexuality. It doesn't say anything about uh, mothers and fathers or anything like that. What it tells us, what it points back to is all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And when you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 3, you'll read about the the fall of man, right? Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, they go their own selfish direction, and there's a consequence for that decision. There's consequence for sin. And that's their removal from the Garden of Eden. This, the, Genesis chapter 3 talks about a curse. And part of that curse, if you remember, was, hey, when, when children are born, there's going to be pain in that process. That's part of the, the consequence. That's part of the reminder that there's a separation that's created when we choose our own selfish path, when we choose sin in our life, we divide ourselves, we separate ourselves away 
from our creator, God. And so these 40 days or these 80 days, this time of purification, it doesn't say anything about uh, individuals. It doesn't say anything about uh, females or males. It talks about people. And when we choose selfishly, when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. There's a God, a big, big God, and we're not him. That's the simple reminder that's taking place here. Points all the way back to that uh, very first sin in Genesis chapter 3 and the separation that occurs when we choose our own path. And this ought to remind us, and even the history that follows and the, the activities, the choices that Mary and Joseph are going to make right now, it ought to remind us that, man, there is a, there's a big God and we're not him and we can't do anything, we can't do enough to get back to him on our own. That's really sort of what's, what's taking place, right? They, they came to, uh, every firstborn male was, was, is to be consecrated to the Lord, is to be offered back to the Lord. That points back to the Exodus. And if you remember the, the 10 plagues, and the last plague was this death angel that God sent, and the firstborn male of, of every family was killed, unless the Israelites who had put blood over, sacrificed a lamb, put blood over their, their doorways on the top and on the sides, and the death angel passed over that house and God protected the firstborn there. And so he said, I, I've protected you and you ought, to, you ought to offer back your firstborn male. And, and uh, that, that's how the priesthood came into order and you kind of see the history that follows and the priest served in place of every firstborn. Well, here, John and Jesus as the firstborn male and their family are gonna sort of serve in that capacity. They're being offered back in service to God. But furthermore, in verse 24, they went there to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. There's actually two sacrifices that would take place uh, during this time. And you can go back in, in the Old Testament and read about uh, the past uh, or the sacrificial system and, and what would take place. But there's two, two sacrifices that would need to take place. There'd be a, a lamb that was sacrificed as a burnt offering and a pigeon that was sacrificed as a sin offering. Now, God uh, took into account that, you know, we don't think of it in the, these terms today, perhaps, but a, a lamb was an expensive item to purchase. You had to have some, some wealth in order to have lambs and to have enough to be able to sacrifice one. And so God made uh, provisions for those folks who weren't wealthy enough to do that. If you were poor, then you could sacrifice uh, two birds in place of this lamb. And so we learned just a little bit of a few interesting things about Mary and Joseph. We learned that, hey, they were, they were not wealthy, right? That they were poor, that they were sacrificing two pigeons or two doves in place of this lamb as the burnt offering. And, uh, but furthermore, we're, we're recognizing that uh, they were trying to live after God and they were, they were participating in this system that was set up to remind us that we, we are in desperate need of a savior, that we can't earn our way to salvation. One author uh, wrote in his book, Hidden Christmas, he said, you may believe that you can earn your right to heaven with God or you may reject religion altogether and believe you simply have the moral resources within yourself to live the life a human being ought to live. If you hold either position, however, your life 
life will be characterized by fear and insecurity because you will never feel like you are being quite good enough or it will be marked by pride and disdain for other people if you feel like you actually have been good enough or it will be marked by self-loathing if you feel you have failed. You may find yourself whiplashed back and forth between two or more of these ways of life. There is another possibility, however. You can believe in the truth of Christmas, that you are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Then you can get an identity that is humbled out of your pride, but affirmed and loved out of your insecurity, and one that offers you forgiveness and restoration when you fail. So Mary and Joseph, by practicing these sacrifices, were were pointing to this truth that every one of us is in desperate need of a Savior, and we can't earn that salvation. We can't earn that on our own, that we, we need that ultimate sacrifice that their son would become. Expectation number one is that we can't earn salvation. Expectation number two is that Jesus paid a price that we all Oh, uh, that's the real gift of Christmas, that Jesus was born to, to serve and to, to teach and to heal and ultimately to die in our place, to be that sacrifice that we all need. Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was righteous and devout, and what made him righteous was his ability to wait, that he was looking out for Messiah, and he was waiting and waiting and waiting. And I don't know, maybe Christmas reminds us of of waiting. It reminds us of that anticipation, and and I don't know whether you consider yourself to be a good waiter or not. I, I consider myself to be a pretty terrible waiter. I, I don't like waiting online. I don't wait, like waiting for dinner. You can tell that. I don't, I don't like waiting, right? I mean, it, it's just hard to do. And, and I don't know what makes you a, a good waiter or not. I, I recently read a book that was about time management, and it, it gave seven suggestions for making better use of the time while you're waiting. You know, if you're waiting in the doctor's office or you're, you're waiting in, uh, to, for a meeting or you're waiting in line or, or whatever it, it might be, these seven things that you can do to to make better use of your time while waiting. You can make phone calls. If you have phone calls that you need to make, we live in an era with technology, you can make use of that time waiting to, uh, to catch up on those phone calls. You can uh, review your calendar. You know, we, we live in an era where we have that uh, at our fingertips most likely, and so you can, you can see your schedule and what needs to be done. Maybe you need to catch up or sort through or dispose of email. You can do that while you're waiting. That's the third opportunity. The fourth one is to sort of organize your day. I suppose that assumes you're waiting at a certain time in your day, but uh, if you're, you need to organize and make sure, hey, I've got to be here to, to pick up the kids or to drop them off or I've got to remember that I have kids or whatever the deal is, you can sort of organize your day and and make sense of it. Number five is that you can use that time to relax. I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? I mean, if you, if you could just relax, you, would, you don't need a list of seven things to do while you wait. But anyway, you could, you could relax during that time. Six, you could talk to a stranger. You know, this sort of flies in the face of everyone else. I, every one of these suge- suggestions, I'm, I'm assuming we're looking at our calendar on our phone, we're, we're looking at emails on our phone, we're making phone calls on our phone, our faces are buried in the screen, right? And sort of the old school, you can talk to a stranger, you can actually begin or extend a relationship while you wait. 
And the seventh uh, way that you can, uh, is, uh, you can use this time is to get familiar with, those, uh, with all those things on your phone that you don't actually use. Seven, seven things that you can do while you wait that maybe will make you a better waiter. Now, here's the deal. Simeon wasn't doing any of these seven things, theoretically. You know, maybe he was talking to a stranger, right? He didn't have access to all this other stuff. He probably wasn't doing this. So what made him such an excellent waiter, where it's at, it's at the end, it's at the end of that verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So the Holy Spirit was on uh, Simeon. He had a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he, he was a great waiter because of this relationship, because of the influence of the Holy Spirit on his life. And I, I would contend that if we want to be a great waiter, if we want to really exercise and, 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 and grow in our relationship with God this Christmas, if we want to grab hold of that hope that every one of us needs, then we need to get in touch as, as followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and just like Simeon, we need to nurture this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think there are some suggestions to how we can do that. Uh, the first one is, we talk about it all the time, but you can stay connected. You can stay connected to God. You can stay connected to Jesus through his Spirit as you stay connected to his Word. As you Take time this year to, to read and to study and to be influenced by his word. Uh, on the Next Step station, there's a, a couple of, of different choices for uh, plans, reading plans to read through the Bible in a year. And uh, if you're into sort of making those resolutions or you want to change your spiritual life, there's maybe no bigger impact that you can make than to spend consistent and serious time in the study of God's word. And so there's a few plans on the back table. There's so many choices. If you're reading God's Word this morning on that YouVersion app, you can find Bible reading plans on that app, and there, there'll be more choices than you can think of there, and you can look through and find the one that's just perfect for your personality, all right? I, I'm sort of selfish, so the ones on the next step station fit my personality, okay? The, these are the ones that stand out to me, okay? And so there's a couple different choices back there. There's one called a uh, five by five by five plan. If you've never really uh, had this discipline in your life, if you're new to that idea of reading the Bible daily and sort of beginning this, this journey and studying God's word, then just like if, if your goal was to, to run a marathon, you wouldn't begin by running, you know, 20 miles at a time or whatever. You'd begin by uh, much slower than that. The same thing's true, I think, in building these spiritual disciplines in our life. And so this five by five by five plan just talks about reading one chapter of the New Testament five days a week. And so that, that should take most people around five minutes to read one chapter of the New Testament a day will take us, you know, five to ten minutes, all right? And so you have that sort of short time frame to uh, not too big of a commitment to do that. But if you read one chapter of the New Testament five, w w once daily, five days a week, then uh, you, you'll read through the entire New Testament in a year. And so that's a pretty cool deal. There's another one back there that's just a five-day plan that uh, has a bigger time commitment that reads through the entire Bible in a year. So you're going to read the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, by reading a certain number of chapters five days a week. I, 
I sort of uh, navigate towards these five days a week plans because it builds in a little cushion, right? So on Tuesday when that gets crazy and we don't read that, we don't have to feel like we've messed up already in our week and uh, we've dropped it and so we sort of, well, I'm not going to read for the rest of the week because we have some built-in days to catch up on those readings. There's another one that just lists the, the books of the Bible that you need to read in a month. There's no schedule. That's sort of my favorite, right? I don't like people telling me what to do, you know? And so you just have the list of the Bibles that you need to read through in a, in a certain month, and that'll take you through God's Word in an entire year. But whatever the deal is, find a way, okay? Find a way for you to spend some consistent, uh, quiet time in God's Word and uh, just stay connected to Him through His Word. Uh, the second thing, Simeon went to the temple. When the Holy Spirit said, you know, hey, go to the temple, Simeon went to the temple. He listened to uh, the Holy Spirit, and he, he paid attention. Uh, he followed through. So uh, he practiced. He stayed devoted in those little things. You know, you, we read this in uh, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. All right? And then verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. So my question is, is this the first time that Simeon had been moved by the Spirit to go to the temple courts? In all likelihood, Simeon was a priest. You know, I think the Spirit moved him to go to the temple courts a lot. I think there had been days upon days upon days upon weeks upon months upon years when the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go to the temple there was no baby to see there. There was no Messiah. There was no Jesus. And he remained faithful in those little things over and over and over again. We can stay connected to God through his spirit by listening to him and, and, and remaining faithful in those little things, even when we don't see the payoff, right? Even when we don't see the dividends, even when we unwrap the present, we go, what is this? We can remain faithful to God and his, his call in our life just like Simeon remained faithful. Simeon took him in his arms in verse 28 when he saw Jesus and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the hope that everyone needs. Look at verse 32 especially, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the hardest thing that the early church dealt with. This idea that Jesus is the gift that every one of us needs this Christmas. That there's no right background, that there's no right ethnicity, that there's no right place to have been born in order to receive this gift that Jesus came into this world for every one of us. Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That following Jesus isn't easy and that following after Jesus shines a light into our world that sometimes makes our world and makes folks uncomfortable and ultimately Jesus would pay a price 
that we all owe and can't pay when, when he talks about a sword piercing Mary's soul. He's talking about Mary when we read about Jesus dying on the cross. Mary's at the cross watching her son die, piercing her, that Jesus pays a price. It wasn't a, a, a cheap price to pay, but Jesus paid that price that all of us owes on our behalf. Expectation uh, number three is to stay committed to him. Look at, look at how our story uh, continues as we're introduced to one more person. There was also a prophet, Anna. She was the daughter of Peniel the tri- of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She had been married and lived with her husband for seven years, was widowed, and now she was 84. And so if you kind of do the math and you assume when she was born, for somewhere around 60 years, she had lived as a widow. If you know anything about the first century, living as a widow uh, for any time period was a difficult lot for women in the first century. And so this was not an easy life for Anna. But when you consider those 60 years, man, what do you suppose she had seen in her lifetime? You know, when you think about uh, the last 50 years in our world, think of the changes that have happened in the last 50 years. If you go 50 or 60 years ago in the past, you know, and you walked into a workplace, you would not see a computer anywhere most likely. I mean, their computers were beginning to penetrate some of the scientific world, but these were, these were computers that took whole rooms. You know, only people in white coats did anything with these computers. They were, they were massive. And now 50 or 60 years later, we're walking around with way more powerful computers in our pockets. You know, the computer has, has just changed our world in the last 50 or 60 years. You think about, uh, you know, finance in the last 50 or 60 years. 60 years ago, the average income in the United States was around $6,000. The average income in the United States today is around $65,000. You know, just finances have changed. Uh, Communication has changed. 60 years ago, you had to make an appointment. You had to have a reservation to make an international phone call. Today, if you dial a 1-800 number, you're probably talking to somebody internationally for free. It's a crazy change in in how technology and and how just things have changed in the last 50 or 60 years. Well, it, it was no different for Anna. She had seen so much change in her lifetime. One author said it like this, she had watched God preparing the political times for the Messiah. She has seen Julius Caesar rise to power and knew of his assassination. She watched the steady and sad decline of the illustrious Maccabean rule, which gave freedom to her people for the first time since Ezra and Nehemiah 200 years before. She was a young woman when Pompey, a Roman general, conquered the Mideast for Rome. She watched as the hated Edomites of the Herod family were placed in power over Palestine. She witnessed the rise of two opposing religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. She had lived under Rome's heavy taxation and under the Jewish heavy religious legalism. The times were ripe for Christ. She watched and waited and hoped. Anna waited and waited for the the hope of Israel, and and finally he was revealed to her. Uh, While she waited, she remained committed in worship. She worshiped, uh, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. 
Uh, some scholars believe that that means that Anna literally lived in the temple. There were lots of rooms in the outer court where that perhaps was possible. What's much more likely is just sort of a more natural reading of that, that in any waking moment, Anna was in the temple. She was committed to her act of service, which was worshiping and praying and fasting. And there's no better goal in 2018 than to stay committed to the worship, to following, to studying God's word, to stay committed to worshiping him. Be involved in, in the, you know, the Sunday morning worship. Stay committed to that for sure. Stay committed to, to building relationships in this community. You know, Zach talked about the fact that it's cool to see everybody together in this, this place. And that's pretty cool to see folks that usually worship at 9 o'clock here at 1030 and folks that usually worship at 1030 forced to the front row, right? Zoe, yeah, that's true. And that's pretty cool, right? That, that's pretty awesome, but what's way more cool is being able to build real relationships with other followers of Christ on a consistent basis, and the very best way to do that here at Wallula Christian Church is through our small groups. Inserted in your program this morning is a sign-up for the, the winter-spring semester of small groups here at Wallula Christian Church. Take that home, pray about it, bring it back next week, sign up to participate in one of those groups where you can spend time studying his word, where you can spend time praying with other believers, where you can spend time playing with other believers, where you can build relationships that are going to impact and matter in your life. Stay committed to that just like Anna stayed committed to the worship of her God. In verse 38, coming up to them at, the very, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Man, if we want to end 2017 well, then take a few minutes. As the year comes to a conclusion this evening, right, uh, there's going to be, maybe you have plans, you're going to be at a party, maybe you have plans to just stay at home, maybe, maybe you have plans to be in bed way before 2018 gets here, okay? That's awesome, all right? I'm, I'm good with that. But take a few minutes before you shut her down for the night just to remember how God has blessed you in 2017, to be thankful for the difference that he continues to make in your life. And if 2017 has been rough, if you can't wait for 2018 to get here, just be thankful for the fact that God provides for us, he offers to us, every one of us, no matter how our year went, no matter where we come from, no matter our background, that gift that every one of us absolutely needs this Christmas, a savior, a hope that reaches into eternity. And how cool is that? One of the gifts I gave uh, Sherry this Christmas is, uh, is an Amazon Echo. There are these little devices, and, and you, you talk to this, this little box in your home, and you say, Alexa, and then Alexa answers, and, and you ask Alexa to do things. It's a miracle, right? I mean, she, she can play music for you. She can tell you the weather. I, I, I suppose you could look out the window, but now you can ask Alexa. And Alexa can do so many things, and you can look down the list, and one of my kids said, Alexa, turn off the lights. Well, there's just one problem. Alexa's way smarter than the rest of our house, right? There's no, there's no connection. I said, hey, bud, you got to temper your expectations just a little. 
Man, when you unwrap that present that you absolutely need this Christmas, Jesus is way, way more than you can expect. Let's stand and worship him right now.